We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're moving from a list of Jesus' miracles now to a section on Jesus' teaching. And of course, Jesus' miracles have a lot to teach us, but now we are going straight to the academics, what Jesus is actually saying. Uh, Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we want to give ourselves over to the words of the living God, we do so, Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Collect our thoughts, Lord, quiet our hearts, and help us to hear what only we could properly discern spiritually with the help of the presence of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit among us. Oh, help us, Lord, in Christ's name, amen. So I think it was the Reader's Digest, and they were talking about family traditions and how they all got started, and there was a funny story there. Um, The story's told, a new bride was cooking for a big family reunion, Four generations were there. So the young lady and her mom, her mother, and again, great-grandma was there. So four ladies and their husbands and the kids, and they're all running around, and they're hanging out as they're preparing the meal. But the young bride is really uh, doing most of it, but they're all gathered. You know how we do that. And um, so she took out the, the roast, and she cut off the ends, And she put it in a big roasting pan, and she put it in the oven. And one of the many husbands there said, you know, I always notice you do that. What's up with that? And she said, well, that's a family tradition, an Anderson uh, women family tradition. And uh, they wanted to know. The husband said, well, why do you do that? And she said, well, I'm not really sure. I think it's that creates a more... Uh, it makes the roast cook faster. And then she turns to her mom and says, Mom, that's right, right? And then the mom corrects the daughter and says, No, actually, I understood it, uh, that it helps to, to keep the, the roast tender. All right? And so then it was like, well, nobody's really asked, you know? And so great-grandma's sitting over there, so she's the one who started it, you know? And so great-grandma says, "Um, well, honey, to be perfectly honest with you, I cut off the ends of the roast to fit in my small pan. (laughs) (laughs) The pan was too small. (laughs) And so that's the thing about traditions that get passed down to us. They start off practical enough, but through the years, they can lose their purpose and meaning by the time they reach us, right? And so some traditions are like that. Some traditions are just plain silly. Nobody really knows why they do it. Maybe just to have fun. There's a 
something that happens in Buñol, Spain, uh, the town on every day, uh, what the first day of summer, something like that. They get in their bathing suits, uh, thousands of people, and they have a tomato throwing fight. <laughs> and they fight with tomatoes. And, and, and you ask them, why do you do that? Well, it's just tradition. We, we do that. Well, that's pretty silly. Uh, some traditions are really bizarre and, and, and painful. You know, and, and there's an Amazon tribe that for a boy to become a man, you know, they have to uh, be stung by these stinger bees that are very, very, not stinger, ants. And uh, they put the ants in gloves and the, the poor kid has to endure it for 20 minutes to become a man. I know it, all the ladies. <laughs> that was cute, ladies. All the moms went, oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the dads were too happy either. So, uh, Amen. Yeah, yeah. There are you guys here? Hello, guys. Sorry. Would you wanna uh, sting your little boy? You know, so to grow him up to be a man? No, right? <laughs> That's strike two for you. Just so you know, Rich. All right. Okay, we got sweet and heartwarming, innocent uh, traditions. You may kiss the bride. You know, that's a tradition. And then the honeymoon that follows. Since 1820, why do we go on honeymoons? Because it's a tradition. That's, that's what we do. And so there's a lot of things like that. And if you, if you go to the church world, oh, man, there's a lot of traditions. I think the, the practical ones and the ones that line up with trying to facilitate the truth of the Bible, there's nothing wrong with those traditions. I mean, uh, meeting Sunday morning. At 10.30, opening with reading from the Psalms, and then we have a prayer, and then we have three songs standing, and then we have another prayer, and then we have a break, and these are traditions, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong or right about that, but when the tradition becomes the point, and more important than the essence and the heart of God and the word of God, then Houston we have a problem, amen? And so that's exactly what's going on here in Mark chapter seven. Um, some traditions, no matter how well intended they were, they weren't actually very well connected to the Bible in the first place, but they got handed down and they had become the whole point of Judaism. And Jesus came, of course, to set uh, people free from empty <laughs> Uh, religious traditions that uh, got in the way of knowing the Lord. And so we're going to see that here in um, Mark chapter 7. Now the first five verses. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come down from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were quote-unquote unclean, that is unwashed. Now an editorial remark from Mark. The Pharisees, to his Gentile readers, he's writing to the Romans, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace especially, they do not eat unless they wash and they observe many other traditions such as the washing of cups 
and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean, defiled cooties hands, (laughs) to put it in today's vernacular. All right, so what we're going to do here, we'll see the majority of chapter 7, at least down into verse 23 or so, has to do with Jesus clashing with these religious leaders and and dealing with their twisted ideas of what it means to serve God and, and to educate people. And that's why Jesus was so popular, because he came to say, hey, cast your burdens on me and enjoy the life that God has given you. And, and so here we have an accusation. What we're going to do is walk through the next couple paragraphs as well. But first, note takers, uh, one through five here is the accusation against Peter, James, and John and, and alike for uh, not following traditional religious protocols. Uh, and then we're going to see Jesus' response in the next paragraph. He's going to slap him upside of the head verbally and uh, condemn that kind of behavior that's all about tradition and zero about God and truth and walking with him. And then there's a final paragraph uh, where Jesus says, okay, listen up, everybody. I'm going to cut to the chase and explain this, what they're doing wrong and what God really requires. And cut to the heart of true religion, which is not a designer (laughs) clothing company, which apparently none of your minds went to anyway. And so, hold on, strike that. From the next service, I won't put them through that. All right. (laughs) So note takers, are you with me? Accusation, condemnation, explanation. All right, so let's just dive in right here to the accusation first. It comes in the form of question. That's how mean-spirited people do things. They don't want to come out as a mean-spirited person who's out to get you. They just ask simple questions, right? It's so much less... um, it's so much more subtle, right? And so they're going to ask a, an innocent question, and actually it's a trap. You know, that's what they do. And so they're gunning for Jesus, the Pharisees. They are looking to trip him up uh, because they're hypocrites. And whenever you get truth near a hypocrite, uh, they get a little threatened, and they never like it when the real deal comes along because they're going to get exposed for their duplicity, and so they need to get a, get rid of this guy because he's about to out them, and his truth is setting people free, free to serve God and free out of the clutches of these oppressive, godless, twisted leaders. And so, yeah, they don't like him. And so, at first, a uh, quick note, I do want to say uh, from the bottom of my heart, uh, look at Jesus using the Old Testament. He does so 78 times. 78 times. Let me see. Jesus quotes the Old Testament 78 times. The New Testament quotes the Old Testament 202 times on top of that. The new hipster emergent church, the cool kid club of this hijacked Christianity that's ever so more 
palatable for the world, has done away with the Old Testament. <laughs> oh, that's in the Old Testament. I don't even open to the Old Testament, a guy told me over lunch, a Christian. I don't even open to that, <laughs> the Old Testament. Jesus opened to it 78 times because the gospel has its foundation in the Old Testament, which is the word of God. You have to properly understand ceremonial law being fulfilled in Christ and political law that no longer applies because we're not a nation of Israel. Outside of that, a proper understanding of both testimonies or testaments, I should say, is essential. It's the word of God. Watch out for these people. They're all around. A low view, uh, a low view of the Old Testament will give God a low view of you. Sorry, just talk, just saying. All right. Now to these heretics. All right. Um, these particular heretics. A heretic is one who strays uh, from the truth. Orthodox truth. Or, orthos means straight or right, right? Doxia, belief. And so orthodoxy is the gospel handed down through the ages. Those who stray from that to crooked thinking, unorthodox would be crooked beliefs, are called heretics who have strayed in that path. And so these particular uh, heretics oppose and want to trap Jesus and, and, and here's how they became heretics. And you have to know this to understand and understand the tradition. So 200 years before Jesus appeared at Bethlehem, 200 BC, the rabbis, pretty good intent, maybe, let's do a running commentary of the Old Testament and we will show you um, by a book that you can have next to the Torah to, to show you how to practically apply the Bible. And so they started with their traditions and, and hundreds of traditions turned into thousands of traditions until they legislated practical application of holiness and righteousness into every single area of your life until you were suffocated. The only thing, like for example, they'd say, okay, the Bible says you need to rest on the Sabbath and not work. Let us tell you what that looks like. And so they, you just might as well have stayed home on Saturday and put a straitjacket on you and just stood there until the sun went down or you were going to break the Sabbath because they legislated life out of your life. You couldn't even breathe. And so their tradition after tradition, these are the traditions. Now that commentary, just note takers, it's called the Mishnah. And, and, and what happened was, and here's the worst mistake of all, they exalted the Mishnah to equal footing with God's word and sometimes higher. And so it was the commentary and the traditions that everybody was keeping. Now, Catholicism, the reason why you're in a Protestant church, a Protestant church gets its name from protesting. What did we protest? Why did we name our non-Catholic churches protesting? 
We were protesting in the 1500s about church traditions that got equal footing. Nobody kind of knew where they came from, but everybody said this too is equal to the word of God, such as Mary being divine, Mary being co-redemptress, equal to Jesus in the act of redeeming us from our sins, seven sacraments to save you, when you take communion, that it actually becomes the literal blood of Jesus. Those are traditions, purgatory, a holding place in the middle. All of those cannot be found in the Bible, but they are Catholic traditions which have been elevated to equal the, the divine inspiration of the Bible. So Martin Luther and the reformers came around and said, there are 95 reasons we have to protest. And, and the line was solo scriptura. It means only, and you can kind of catch that, <laughs> only the Bible, just only the Bible. And they were about to execute Martin Luther. And they called him in front of the courts and said, we are going to burn you at the stake. And he said, I stand on the word of God and my conscience. And to do other than that will put me in harm's way. God help me, I do not recant. He said, just show me the Bible and I'll do it, right? And so this is what happened back in the day. This is what happened to the world now in current terms. And, and it can happen to us even when, when we're not paying attention. And so uh, moving on, uh, you know, Protestant things. How about Protestants? Protestants will take, uh, we have our own Mishnahs, all right? So the Mishnah would be, uh, James says, don't love the world or anything in it. Don't be a worldly Christian. And so Protestant mission boards or whatever church boards come up with a Mishnah and let us tell you what worldliness is. So women, if you wear pants back in the day and some congregations today outside of our own, if women wear pants, that's worldly, right? Or if you go back in the day, if you go to the theater, or if you, if you go dancing, if you do swing dancing, that's worldly. And so these were traditions. You cannot find thou shalt not swing dance in the Bible, <laughs> right? Uh, right? And so, so but, but going to the theater, right? So, so, Protestants came up with their own running commentary, and then that became your dress code meant you're sinning if you had a certain kind of lapel on in the 40s. This was a thing in the Baptist church. Lapels mattered. You, you see, so Jesus came to, to say, uh, folks, it's not about the lapel. <laughs> It's about what's going on inside of your heart. And so we can understand here. Let's get to the, to the actual uh, verse five is the accusation. Some of your pagan disciples, Jesus, are transgressing the traditions of the elders and uh, uh, the Mishnah. And we just want to know why. So let me explain what the hand washing is. It is not washing your hands with soap and water before you eat. If the disciples had that available, I'm sure they would have done that. Um, that's not what we're talking about. Here's what we're talking about. Um, it's this elaborate, sanctimonious, 
extensive, showy thing about how to wash your hands free of spiritual contamination that you could have picked up in the marketplace. You might have bumped into an icky person and then their icky cooties would be on you, all right? We used to say that as kids. You know, you get cooties, the spiritual, uh, you know, invisible defilement, right? Ew, right? So if you touched a non-kosher person, or you touched non-kosher food, or, you, or, or that kind of thing, you would be considered defiled. So they said, listen, uh, even knives and forks in your crock pot. Who, used, who did you loan your crock pot out to somebody? And it came back, how do you know whose house it went to and what was said in the house and all? This is their thinking, is this that you could defile a crock pot from having it in a neighbor who you didn't especially care for. This is the world. Do you see why Jesus was so popular? <laughs> he opened his mouth and said, that's not religion. Let me tell you about the love of God and how you don't have to worry because he's got you covered. He's going to take care of you. Look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. People want, oh, oh. Oh, thank you for coming and teaching us the truth. We knew something was wrong about it, but we couldn't quite put our fingers on it. And so let me show you what they had to do. I have a quote from Ray Steadman about this. The hands had to be held out, palms up, hands slightly cupped, and water poured over them. Then the fists, don't use the fingers, because you never know, there could be have cooties on them. And then the fist of one hand was used to scrub the other one, not with soap. There's no soap involved. This is all, um, uh, you know, mystical, invisible, spiritual defilement. And so you're doing it while quoting, I'm sure, some Latin phrase, all right, that nobody understood, or I'll pick on the, some, some Arabic phrase or some Italian phrase, okay? No emails. Thank you. <laughs> then the first... The fist of one hand scrubbing the other, and the other fist would scrub the other. And finally, the hands were held out again, palms down this time, and the water was poured over them a second time while repeating pious-sounding words to cleanse away the dirty water the defiled hands had been scrubbed with. Only then would a person's hands be ceremonially clean. He might not even have been hygienically clean, <laughs> But he would, have had, he would have been ceremonially clean, now considered acceptable to God, and was now free to enjoy the meal. Now, some of you, it will make sense to you when you read Matthew. Mark doesn't have this line in here. Matthew says, woe to you, which means how sad for what's going to come of a guy like you. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, hypocrites. You're careful to clean the outside of the cup. Oh, yes, it's all clean now. And the dish. But inside, you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Wow, thank you. You could go back to the text. Jesus saying, you guys are all concerned about the outside form of stuff. You give the cup a good scrub, but inside the cup of your heart, ooh, it's nasty, foul, and stinketh. Thank you, King James. I think stinketh really works there. <laughs> For re religious defilement should stinketh, I think. I thinketh. <laughs> All right. 
um, there's a woman who's now a Christian. She came into this church not a Christian. She went to a lady's Bible study, and the Bible study was about this idea of the Pharisees making sure everybody thought well of them on the outside. And they had it all together on the outside. It was all for show. But inside, they were unchanged, untouched, uninvolved. And she said, I feel like that. And she asked the question to the Bible study leader, where can I get resources to help me fix that problem and clean on the outside but inside? And that, and that Bible study leader said, well, I've got the perfect resource for you, and it's not a book. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can get in there and clean that stuff up and out. And that person said, let's pray. And a bunch of ladies gathered around her and led her to the Lord. And she, she and her husband uh, are serving in the church today, a year later. And so only Jesus can get in and make a difference, not our silly traditions. And now Jesus is going to push back because they pushed him. And he's allowed to push back. And, and here he goes. He replied, <laughs> to, this is how he answers them. Isaiah, in the Old Testament, <laughs> was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me, God, with their lips, but their hearts are way far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are rules taught by men. There it is. And I threw that in there for free. That's where you can find it. Okay, verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, now here's, here's one of my favorite examples that you guys do this with. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother Commandment number five, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything to help his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and you do a lot of stuff like that. Let's talk about this. So <laughs> they're using their traditions to shield themselves from true Christianity, which is about surrendering your life morally, mentally, emotionally to God and losing your own autonomy. And this is what they didn't want to do. They don't want to lose their autonomy and they want to be Lord of their own lives. And so they said, how do we get around all of these commands? Well, let's come up with some traditions that will kind of take the place and get us out. Find a way around doing what God wants and still look spiritual doing it. Yikes. 
don't want to be them on judgment day. So to their question, Jesus answers back now. We're in the second point of his denunciation or condemnation of their behavior. First, it begins with some sanctified name calling. And I don't, I don't suggest you try this at home. <laughs> Jesus can call anybody, whatever he wants to. And it, this is not mean-spirited. He's just saying this is who you are. You are fakers, fraud, play actors. That's what the word hypocrite means in the Greek. And the Hebrew has flavors of that as well. People who are outwardly religious, who honor me with, with their lips, verse 6, right? But their hearts are far away. In other words, they sing the songs, they say the prayers, hallelujah and amen. They profess to be Christian, right? But in their hearts, it's a whole nother story. We're not talking about a struggle. Everybody's got a struggle. Romans chapter 7 says, man, the things I want to do, I don't end up doing, the very things I don't want to do, I end up doing that. Wow, I messed up. He says, nothing good lives inside of me except the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're talking about because we all have that struggle. But in the life of a Christian, we delineate between our sinful nature that we observe and, and unfortunately hear prompting us all the time. And we, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, stand apart from that. So we're not living a double life. We're not saying, yeah, praise the Lord, amen, writing the check, and then living any way we want, giving ourselves fully over to those things, embracing those things, and living essentially a double life. What you see on the outside, and this happens all the time, and it makes the newspapers if somebody's on a platform doing that. Because <laughs> it's so heinous. We're signaling to the whole world I have a relationship with God. Look at my life. And, and, and got all the stuff in line. But inwardly, festering and defilement and sin. No fight. Just finding ways to hide it better. That's them. But what's worse about them is that they came up with laws and traditions to get around doing God's will and doing something like breaking a commandment, but looking good doing it. And this is what really I think Jesus is saying, you're a hypocrite. And it may have been why he called them brood of vipers and said to them in Matthew 23, how are you guys going to escape going to hell? That's exactly what he says. I just don't see it. I don't see your lifestyle. I don't know how you could even think that you're going to be going to heaven, living the double life that you're living. So th these guys are just uh, dead. One writer said, it's, hard, it's not hard to know whether or not you're truly saved and know the Lord. It's really not hard at all. Look inside your own heart. Is there a love for Christ? Is there a thirst and a hunger that wants to do his will and, and, and know him and keep his commands? Do you grieve over your sin? Is there an ongoing conversation inside of you? where he's talking to you and you're talking to him and you answer? Do you hear him speaking? Are you listening <clears throat> with a heart to obey? If these are lacking, 
It doesn't matter how spiritual you are on the outside. Your religion is dead. And sadly, so are you. Dead in your sins. That's why Jesus said, if you want to see heaven, you got to be born again. You have to become alive spiritually. It won't matter what you do on the outside. You need to have new birth. And that happens inwardly where nobody can see. So we open our hearts. Jesus comes in and that's called being born again. And now there's a difference going on in there. If you don't, then if you don't know Christ, you're not born again and you're doing all the religious stuff like a billion people in this world this morning are doing. Going to church, saying the prayers, repeating things over and over again, up and down in the pews and all of that. Without being born again, Jesus says, you're worshiping me in vain. If you go into church on Sunday and you walk out the same kind of person and you go partying through your week and you're lying and and cheating and lusting and all of that, and you come in, he says, you worship me in vain. What does it matter? If you got the outward all spun nice and everybody else is impressed, listen, I'm sure it'd be nice to win an Academy Award, get an Oscar. I mean, we've all watched those shows and it's kind of like, wow, that's pretty, in a worldly sense, impressive. But one thing you don't want is on Judgment Day to stand before the God who knows everything. He sees all, knows all. To hand you an Academy Award, to give you an Oscar for the best role of imitating a Christian. And hear him say, man, the angels were kind of confused by you. You were, you were so good. Wow. You don't want that. You'll be headed for trouble, right? And these guys were headed for trouble. So he's going to say, let me give you an example of what drives me crazy with you guys and why you are in great trouble. He says, let me give you <clears throat> exhibit A of you doing this. He says, take, for example, the whole Corbin exception clause that you guys wrote in as a tradition to get around honoring your mom and dad. He says, first of all, let's be clear what God thinks about parents and children and grandchildren and their obligation to mom and dad. He says, it's one of the 10. The commandment number five, Jesus saying, God's heart is honor your father and mother and failure to do so could cost you your life. So he quotes there, Exodus 20, verse 12, the commandment, and then Exodus 21, verse 15, if you fail to honor them. Now, some people have a hard time with, wow, why so harsh about, you know, not honoring your mom and dad could cost you your life? I I don't understand that. Let me help you out with a quote here. Old Old Testament is a time without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The world is without sacrifice for their sins. The Savior will come through a promised line of families, Jewish families. If those Israeli families follow me, if those Israeli families fall apart, if the basic family unit inside of Israel implodes, before they produce Messiah, the world will be without a Savior. 
This explains, the writer says, why God has zero tolerance in the Old Testament toward anything and everything that threatens his ability to bring a savior into the world through Israel or through Israel's families. Mess with the family unit, because the family unit is this Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. In Matthew chapter one, you've got the line of families. If something goes wrong with the families, you're not gonna have that line and you're not gonna have a savior. The world is lost. So God says, mess around with my road to salvation. I'll mess around with you. So that ought to help you understand this. So what happened here? When mom and dad could no longer cultivate or plant or harvest or dig ditches or sell or sew or knit or build or repair to bring themselves some income, they didn't have Medicare, they didn't have Medicaid, they didn't have SSI. They had their children. That was God's ordained way to care for mom and dad. Things are a little bit different now. And so that could be costly. So here's what they did. <laughs> uh, some of the rabbis had aging parents. Oy vey, this is going to run us. This is going to, you know, I got a mother. She's going to live to 104, you know, all of this. So they invented a law called Corbin. And Corbin means promised, right? And here's the deal. When mom and dad needed, you didn't have to sign any papers to actually follow through to give your discretionary income as a child over to the temple. You didn't have to do that. All you had to do was, if mom brought it up, all you had to do was say, as much as I'd like to, I have a higher obligation and say the magic word, Corbin. And by saying the magic word, which was a tradition of unscrupulous men, you have now outed yourself from honoring your father and mother, which is a commandment, and breaking that commandment, which is punishable by death, all in the name of glory to God. Look at me. I'm taking the money that God would have me support my mom and dad, and I'm giving it all to the church. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, and you do a lot of stuff like that. You know what? The crowd was ready to pick up stones right then and there and not to kill Jesus. And that's why the Pharisees needed, because he's outing them. He's outing them. And they're like, we've got to stop this guy before they figure everything out and stop going to temple altogether or financing their um, lavish lifestyles, I should say. And so time to finish up. We've got, um, we've seen Pharisees' accusation. We've heard the condemnation that Jesus just whacked him with. And, uh, and now let's finish up with an explanation. I, this is one of my favorite passages right here, the explanation. So he calls the crowd, he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Boy, God's heart. He says, oh, don't, don't listen to them. They're crazy. He says, listen to me. Nothing outside, so this whole subject of external defilement being able to come in through your crock pot or your fork or, or their food. 
They're really into that. Oh, you can't eat that, and God will be so upset. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean, defiled, not right with God, by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. And what, they, what the parable is, a metaphor. Uh, it's, not what goes, come, it's not what goes in, but what goes out. They, they didn't get that. What does that mean? And he says, are you so dull? <laughs> I'll talk to you about that. He asked, don't you see that nothing enters a man from the outside can make him defiled? For it doesn't go into his heart, but it goes into his stomach and then out of his body. And then the Holy Spirit, who is writing this, not Mark, in saying this, Jesus declared all, big word, foods, big word, clean. Nice. <laughs> go ahead and eat anything you want. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean through the mouth there. For, for from within, out of men's hearts come, and here's the list, 13 things, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All this stuff, all this evil comes from inside and comes out. That's what you should be concentrating on, folks, because those that's the thing that matters. So clear, so powerful, so helpful, so convicting. He doesn't want his people to be sidelined by dumb fascinations, wrong focus, wrong efforts in our Christian lives. Uh, so here he goes. He says, time for the crowds. Come on in here. I, I got to clear up this misinformation because life with God is nothing like they've been teaching. So um, listen to his passion, man. Here's what he's saying. Listen to me, everybody. Everybody, come over here, please. Let me tell you about clean. At the title of his sermon, and you only have a summary there. He went on. The title of his sermon, I've, I've suggested a title. It, it, I would have called his sermon Clean, clean Eating, Verse, dirty living. All right? As they're all focused, oh, the big thing, clean eating. And while you're doing your clean eating, make sure you're gossiping and slandering and tearing people apart at the table. But phew, you're clean eating. And wow, yeah, that's, what, that's the spirit of it. So here's what he says. Paraphrase, nothing you eat has any spiritual significance. It can't make you closer to God or further to God. It can't defile you or commend you. It's not what goes in your mouth that matters to God. It's what comes out that will commend or condemn you before God. So one writer said, it's amazing that throughout the church age, Christians have struggled so much with food and restricting and all of this nonsense when it's right here, every church in the New Testament had Mark. They all knew 
that Jesus came to bring a, a new sense of freedom, a, fulfill, a fulfillment of ceremonial dietary laws of the Jews and all of this. But within the New Testament, you see uh, they're struggling with kosher laws still because most of them were Jews in the beginning. The false teachers said, oh, you've got to abstain from certain lavish uh, kinds of foods. And then uh, some weak-minded Christians saw that the roast was dedicated to Zeus and they, they put some incense around and they said, well, I can't eat that. And Paul said, yeah, you can. There's no such thing as Zeus. Just be happy, you gotta deal with the roast. <laughs> Take it home, right? But he said, if you're gonna go to someone's house who doesn't eat Zeus meat, <laughs> then don't bring that Zeus roast. Bring some carrots and vegetables, all right? So it's in love anyway. So they have problems like that all the time. Old habits die hard. And so let me tell you, folks, the, um, the Jews had dietary laws. Let me make this straight in your head. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. I'm going to tell you this. You've heard a lot of other stuff, but I'm just going to tell you the truth about it. <laughs> okay, what's the right way to think about this? It had nothing to do with health, zero. All had to do with separating the Jews from their pagan neighbors, so that he could bring through the Jews a Messiah. One of the impediments to fellowship would be table fellowship. And so the Lord said, very strictly, eat only these kinds of foods. Nothing stops you from a deep and profound friendship with someone if you can't eat with them. So the, the list was narrow, and so they couldn't hook up with pagan families, marry their daughters. They couldn't have a wedding feast because the food, everything came, comes down to food a lot socially. And God wanted his people to be his people until he did his deed of making the Messiah. So one of the things he says, you are holy. Every single time he gives the food restrictions, he says, for you're holy. That word means separated, separated, separated. Once the Messiah is here, He's going to the cross to die for all of our sins. He redefines everything. He says, I'm here now. The dietary laws are, are, are no longer binding. And so uh, that's really the point of the Old Testament uh, dietary. Let the disciples get uh, confused, right? And so... Uh, Jesus says to them, they say, we don't understand whatever. It's not what goes in that, that defiles a man. It's what comes out. We don't get it. Explain it to us. And Jesus says, in love. He says, I'm really surprised that after all these years with me, you can't figure out a simple little saying like this. And I think he says that in defense of Jesus. I don't think he's being rude at all. He's saying, Christian, how long have you walked with the Lord, read the Bible, gone to church, and still you don't know it's not right to fill in the blank. Are you still so, the word means dense. Are you still, come on. Uh, you know, uh, he's setting the bar. He's kind of, come on. This is serious stuff, and you're just kind of kicked back, and yeah, I like the sermon, whatever, man, and it's in one ear and out the other. He's saying you're not paying attention. 
This is like reteaching you every Sunday. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so he says, listen, in graphic terms, you gonna make me say this? You really, guys, you're going to make me give you an anatomy lesson right here and be so graphic? He says, okay, look. And they're sitting at, in, in a house and, and behind a table. I think they're eating. So he takes a piece of fish. He says, really, honestly, do I have to say, you know, where the fish goes now? It goes, it's on a track and it bypasses the heart. It never gets anywhere near your spirit or your soul. It go, it's ingested and it's outjested. <laughs> he said it, you know? And he says, you can't figure that out, that, that, that it has nothing, 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 nothing to do with God, nothing. And yet Christians today, number one best-selling books have to do, let me name them to you, the Hallelujah Diet, the Pray Fit Diet, the Maker's Diet, the maker's diet, I, I want to get online and say, excuse me, <clears throat> the maker doesn't have a diet. The maker has this diet for you. He doesn't recommend a diet, he recommends a lifestyle. Obedience, faith, moral uprightness, humility, kindness, other-centeredness, serving others, loving God, abstaining from sin. That's the maker's recommendation for your life. He doesn't have a menu of preferred foods. If you want to eat certain foods, eat certain foods. If you want to be healthy and organic and, 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 and you have food allergies, of course, you're concerned. Count your calories. Count your carbs, but don't forget to count these. I need a list of bad things. Thank you. <laughs> don't forget to count these. Oh, I'm really glad you got your calorie count for the day or your steps. Oh, I've got my steps, you know? And what matters is, is that you got your hour walk or you did all of these disciplines that pale in comparison and significance to the eternal matters of the soul, which we disregard and hardly even look at and are all caught up in all everything else except what's coming out of the heart. And Jesus said, you know what's inside there that comes out if you let it? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And sir, you say, basically, I'm a good person? Without Christ, basically, I'm a good person? This is what the Bible says is tucked away inside the good person's heart. It's a sinful nature. That's why we all need a savior. The outwardly upright moralist and good standing kind of folks who'd give you the shirt off their back, and I love people like that. It's just that that's not enough to save you if you got this kind of stuff going on, and we all do to some degree or another. And Jesus says, listen, you want to go on a fast? The Daniel fast, the, the Maker's fast, the Hallelujah fast, the, the Bible's cleanse fast. Here's the fast. Fast this. <laughs> Fast these things. Fast slandering people. 
talking smack about people, tearing people down, gossiping about people, fast being rude to your spouse. Try going a whole week serving your spouse and not complaining. That's a fast worth fasting about. <laughs> Jesus says, you people, you know, you're so proud of I only ate fruits and veggies and only the ones in the Bible. What? <laughs> Come on, please, please. Jesus is begging you. There, there are more important things than that. Without taking away your joy of healthy living, just bring some balance. That's what he's saying. Amen. Let's say a quick prayer here. <laughs> Come on up, worship team. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. We are all, we got all have a little Pharisee living inside of our hearts. And uh, a Pharisee wannabe. And oftentimes, Lord, by the good grace of God, we put that guy to death. And we live in a way that pleases you. But other times, Lord, we're ensnared by a whole bunch of these things. And Father, I pray that wherever you touched this morning, all different places in our hearts where we need to make some changes, help us to do that. And as we enter a time, so <laughs> such perfect timing for a reminder of how you washed all of those terrible things away and released us from their power and penalty and presence by the death of Jesus on the cross for us. We thank you. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. There's nothing that you could have done. Scrub, scrub, scrub. Give, give, give. Discipline, discipline, discipline. Give away your fortunes. Feed the hungry. <laughs> give your body to be burned as a martyr and without Christ he's the only one that took these things out of our sinful lives and paid for them that's the point put that list on me as the God man strike me Father God Father God God the Son strike me for these sins Take them off of them, the believers. Put them all on me. And now punish me. And he did. So much so you couldn't recognize Jesus. It says he wasn't recognizable as a, a human being from the swelling and the battering and the flogging and the crucifying. He paid. So they're off of us. So the New Testament says he paid for that. He rendered it... Uh, powerless over you. Now you have a choice to hook up with the Holy Spirit inside of you and put those things to death. They're still in. They're, they survived. They're in there. But they're defeated, and you'll choose. You'll either give them life, or you'll turn them over to the Holy Spirit and put them to death. That's, the, that's what walking with the Lord's all about. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, think of this as my body broken in your place, so you won't have to be broken. Let's eat the bread. Then he took the cup, 
And he said, it's time for a new covenant. The old covenant was do this or die. The new covenant was trust me and live. And so Jesus said, think of this as my blood that washes away all of your sins. And folks, that's just 13 of them. There's more. And he drank the cup of all of them. So they're all dealt with, all paid for. There's not one left. It's going to embarrass you on Judgment Day. Nope, he got them all. Let's drink the cup. Let's stand. I'll dismiss us in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your, your wonderful love. Thank you for putting us right, Lord. Just all we have to do is turn away from my sin, our sin, and turn to you. We thank you, Father God, for a complete cleansing. And we walk away from this place right with God and inspired to do your will. In Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.